Well, I think it depends on where you are in the city. I think like different people in different neighborhoods want different things out of their mayor. And it's hard to see which which issues will become the citywide issues. Hello, and welcome to the 16th episode of The Broadcast, a Chicago podcast dedicated to showcasing women who are making an impact on Chicago and their communities. If this is your first time listening to The Broadcast, welcome. We're glad you found us. For those of you joining again, welcome back, and really thank you for listening. All of this is possible because of you and our amazing sponsors and partners, including We Will and Evolve Her and our podcast home, 1871, Chicago's premier hub for entrepreneurs, innovation, and technology. I'm Becky Carroll, president and CEO of C Strategies, and I'm also your host. In the last year, we were given a lot of airtime to the, you know, quote, year of the woman. More women ran for office. More women voted than ever before in recent years. Women are increasingly speaking out against sexual harassment. Women are fighting to protect their reproductive rights. And we saw this come out loud and clear on election night here in 2018. And it's really exciting to see the results. 101 women and still counting in some cases have been elected to the U.S. House. And that breaks 2016's record of 85 women serving in the House. 476 women uh, filed to run in the House this past cycle, and that really obliterated the previous record of 298 women that filed in 2012. And then we just have a record of of the 33 congressional races that featured a woman running against another woman as the major party contender. So that's exciting to kind of see that happen too. I mean, Republican or Democrat, more the merrier. So I hope this trend continues. Today, I'm joined by three very special guests who cover the coveted beat of Chicago and Illinois state politics. And today, we're going to talk about the electoral outcomes of 2018 and what they mean for Chicago's future and that of the upcoming dreaded, in some cases, 2019 municipal elections. So I'm fortunate to introduce WBEZ City Hall political reporter Becky Vivi, WTTW Chicago Tonight political correspondent Amanda Finicky, and the Daily Line Cook County reporter and Aldercast host A.D. Quigg. So ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited. I've been trying to do something for a while. I get some of the ladies in the room to talk about politics and not just things that we care about as women, but, you know, it's like you guys are, you know, kicking butt, talking about these issues and bringing them out. And, you know, it's nice to just have more women voices out there because there was a time when I used to pick up the phone and all I talked to was men all day long. So no, <laughs> no, nothing against all my guys who are, you know, reporters out there, but it's really nice to have more women. I think the women. City Hall Press Corps is mostly female now. Yeah, that's great. Almost I think it into, is. It's like at least half and half. I think more than half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, it was like only Fran and Chinta mm-hmm. Strasburg when she used to be at the Defender. Right. And then, yeah, it was just boys yeah. all around. Yeah. And they were a nice set of guys. But, you know, hey, time to mix Gotta it up. Got to have your girl squad. <laughs> That's right. Girl squads are good. So from each of your own observations, um, what was uh, the biggest takeaway from the results of the November 6th election, you know, whether it's here in Illinois or nationally? I'll take this one first. I will focus on, well, I guess really one of the major takeaways that you can't get away from is Donald Trump. And he, of course, had an effect huge, as he would say, (laughs) on on politics and electoral outcomes, both nationally and in Illinois. I kind of imagine every... um, map that you see of electoral outcomes or graph with his blonde 
hairpiece or whatever it is <laughs> over that that it really does uh, i mean he's it had such a huge role in things and then the other takeaway in illinois is money i mean yet again these we saw so many big mm-hmm. spending races primarily of course the gubernatorial race and you can't take away from a candidate who had 171 million dollars wow. to spend <sighs> on his campaign um but also the the effect that that money had throughout down ballot races because that money paid for field offices, campaign workers who were walking, knocking on doors. And I do think that that's why you saw Democrats do so well in Illinois. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of reasons for that in terms of the lack of popularity of mm-hmm. Governor Bruce Rauner and in a state like Illinois where Donald Trump isn't so popular. But also, that money is a huge takeaway. And there was a lot of money spent on legislative races as well. Right. Yeah. I feel like I covered the 14th congressional district for this midterm, oh, which was the race against um, between Lauren Underwood and Randy Hultgren in the far western and northwestern How suburbs. How long did you follow that for? <laughs> like only two and a half weeks, <laughs> unfortunately. But it was really an interesting race to jump into since I cover City Hall mostly, I, you know, was sort of assigned at the last minute. But here's this very very obviously exurban sort of rural area it goes all the way up to the border of Wisconsin. I grew up in the middle of central Wisconsin and mm-hmm. so it felt a little bit like that and this young African American woman really took it. She just she she beat the Republican incumbent and I think a lot of that Amanda probably had to do with some of the structural institutional support that she had from national democrats and even locally you know you get her old boss barack obama (laughs) yeah exactly his ofa infrastructure (laughs) um and so she really you know kind of swept that i think she won 52 to 48 and i think that that is one of those districts that it wasn't until really the last week that it got moved into the sort of toss-up category. So People I ignored I, that race for so long. And I, know, I thought true. from the beginning that that was it felt a like mistake. A long shot, but well, like, I mean, I when you look at Illinois and how it is trending, to me, it was always this should be in the same category as the Roscom Keston race mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the trick, opportunity yeah. to flip. And people kept on being like, eh, well, and it was right. She was really she underestimated. She, had a chance. she was definitely yeah. under, Underwood was underestimated. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I think that's another takeaway the power of also hard work. Right. I mean, you talk about money and that is huge, but still, I she worked it. It was really interesting to me because the, the midterms. While we ended up somehow with, I think, like the most diverse uh, U.S. House in a long time, more women, you have the first Native American candidates that are in the House now. And I think it's kind of crazy because their campaigns weren't necessarily about that identity politics at all. And I think that was very strategic on the Democratic Party's part to let it be about issues so that somebody like Lauren Underwood could reach white rural voters who are mad about their health care. Right. You know, like the, the, those the are perfect vehicle issues. for carrying it too, right? Because yeah. she works in healthcare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And she and grew so, up in the area. So she it was a kind of a perfect Yeah, thing. she could speak to it very credibly. Yeah. So that to me was like a big takeaway that we ended up with all this additional diversity, but yet it wasn't at all about identity politics. And there are areas of this country that still remain super white and primed to perhaps be more conservative or you know, Trump supporting. And yet when you sp- when people spoke issues at them or to them, that seemed to resonate and it seemed to work. So go I don't figure. Know. Yeah, people go figure. People want to talk about issues. Yeah. 
I was covering all the Cook County board races, which was a thrill. And you know, more than half of it, <laughs> more than half of it gets done in the in the primary. Yeah, mm-hmm. we know who the Democratic seats will be. Those contests are interesting. I was watching the four Republican seats on the board because we saw JB had a big influence on every single down ballot race. Mm-hmm. Gave a ton of money to the Cook County Democratic Party, and Tony Preckwinkle took that money and she flipped two seats. So now the Cook County board is fifteen Democrats, two surviving Republicans. And we saw the chair of the Illinois GOP, Tim Schneider, defeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a very yeah, purposeful hit. And now we have kind of the Illinois GOP in tatters. Mm-hmm. We don't know what direction we'll, it'll go in. We As don't know if they weren't the, already kind of tattered. Now they're really Well, they were tattered. definitely yeah. divided. But yeah. now it's like, who who is the de facto head of the Illinois GOP? And, um, if, and if Rauner does not come through with money anymore which seems to be what people think he has not actually said so i mean he had given a lot of money to civic causes Mm -hmm. throughout his life as a chicagoan which was the prime i mean all of his adult life and career he had been very much involved but as an outsider it was only when he decided to jump in as a candidate and really run for governor that he then became almost the illinois republican party but once the once you saw legislators and Republicans break away from Rauner, not only was there the division, the question is, will they have any money? Because it's a cycle of not only is there potentially Rauner walking away from politics completely and so a lack of um, funding from him, but because there were so many deep losses in county races, yep. state races across the board. All the Collar County boards. Right. Mm-hmm. Who's going to give money to Republicans because they don't have you the power. Rickets. You, you give Rickets. money to people uh-huh. in power. Well, the and rumor it's is really yeah, Todd Ricketts. Todd Ricketts mm-hmm. and Dick Uline. Well, mm-hmm. and I was going to say Uline. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see if they emerge as sort of the... If, if conservative candidates rise even more, I don't know. Right. I, what does it mean for the party? Right. And... What happened with Schneider's race, I, I was covering his party and he it was clear to him pretty early on that he lost and he blamed Trump more than anything, mm-hmm. which was interesting. I don't think he would go after Bruce Rauner. He and Bruce Rauner are very good buddies, but um, there wasn't there was a little bit of introspection. I said, so what do you who's the de facto head of the party now? And he said, well, I don't know. We're going to have to kind of get together and um, hash it all out. And I just hope the party goes back to its roots, which is caring about attracting business to Illinois and taxation issues. Right. I don't know if that's what will happen. Right. Well, they've they've become so far to the right, even if they didn't intend to because of Trump, they become more ideologues rather than about their core base issues, which is, you know, what's attracted people to the Republican Party. If you're some, I mean, I think there are some people that are very much attracted to the issues that Trump has made a focus. And that is the inherent problem that they're is a party that is divided. I mean, Democrats aren't aligned on all issues, but at this point in time, anyway, we don't see a party at war with itself. Which but is a first that is time definitely where the GOP is at for right a now. long time with Democrats. It's yeah. always been the the GOP that's been hardcore message, discipline, and, and strong, on policies yeah. and issues. And we've been the big tent, and finally we've kind of turned the tables on them. So talking about now the the voters, the age group that even surprised me that came out in the biggest numbers this cycle in Chicago were millennials from ages 25 to 34. So I kind of wonder, like, is this now like an official kind of changing of the guard over the baby boomers or was it a fluke? And, 
you know, what effect may this have potentially on the mayor's race when you have everyone who's in their 20s to their 70s mm-hmm. who are vying for mayor? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be interested to see if they show up in the same numbers mm-hmm. for mayor. Um, I do think that there's within that subcategory, I think Latinos are very interesting and ones to watch because and motivated. Have, yeah, yeah, motivated. And they're also, this is the generation, this is first generation Latinos. Mm-hmm. And so I've talked to strategists who've told me, you know, immigrant immigrant populations, it takes them a couple of generations yep. before they become real strong voters. But once they do, they they sort of lock themselves in. So I do think that the young Latino voting bloc here in the city is one to watch for the mayor's race. That's, that's one of my predictions, yep. I guess. I don't know <laughs> if it's a fluke. I mean, like, I, I read an article, we were talking about Harold Washington before we started recording. Someone told me, and I checked back, turnout for Harold Washington's election was 83%. Through the roof. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and and normally, now we're in the 50s Now we're in the lucky. 40s or yeah. 50s if you're lucky and even less for the runoff. So I will be anxious to see, number one, if any of these mayoral candidates kind of break through and get a message out that actually excites millennials. Mm-hmm. I think some of the a lot of the turnout in Democratic circles, at least, was like casting an anti-Trump vote in whatever way that they could. And... I don't think there's really an opportunity to do that here. So especially now that that Rom isn't running, there's not like you know for some voters like the bad guy to go out there and send a message to. Now it's just an open seat, right? With so many candidates in a race. Truthfully, I think it's going to be a challenge for journalists to cover. So that's my my selfish take. (laughs) But with ramifications in terms of what that means for people who are looking to learn about a candidate, it almost makes anybody want to shrug their shoulders and say, "Okay, where do do I go now? And that might be difficult for voters. Election fatigue in general. This is coming on Mm -hmm. the heels of an election where you saw that sort of turnout. Or will it be... Those who feel really empowered because they there are so many races, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, there are so many races that really showed, wow, every vote does count. I mean, you look at the Illinois General Assembly right now, mm-hmm. and of course, nationally, we know some of those big name races. They're still not settled mm-hmm, because right. they were that close. Um In terms of the millennial, rep- millennial representation, there also, of course, are some millennials on the ticket that will be running for mayor, whether that will activate younger voters to come out or whether those will be the candidates who don't get a lot of traction because they don't have as much name recognition Mm -hmm. or money money. yet again. It's always a lot comes back to money as the old guard clearly not ready to give over the reins to a a younger set in terms of who's actually holding office. Right. I do think that, that that voting block definitely needs to be excited about, like you said, casting a vote against somebody or for somebody. And I don't right now currently see in the field of candidates like a clear message that will easily capture millennials. Right. That's and I can't I can't think of a like, single issue that would really fire millennials up. I know we're going to get parking to, like, tickets, maybe. Parking <laughs> tickets. <laughs> I know like affordability yeah. matters to yeah. everyone. Yeah, housing affordability. Right. Um but I don't know if any mayoral candidate, especially ones that in the past have relied on reliable voters, so older voters, if anyone is even going to try to speak specifically to millennials. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it happen yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, Chance the Rapper, had he actually yeah. run? Sure. I think yeah, a lot of people right. would be really excited about but that. But even like, I mean, the but, person he's behind isn't necessarily the, you know, doesn't have the name recognition. Right? And still, she, you still know, got she, the money. Yeah. I mean, someone like Chance issue. and an affiliation can take you so far. It can definitely raise awareness and get you some headlines, but you have to sustain it beyond that. Right. And I hope that also that collectively the media is careful about that after some 
hopeful introspection from the last presidential race of, okay, celebrity endorsements and such. Mm-hmm. Sure, they, they count. And obviously, Chance is somebody who's not just a quote-unquote celebrity. He's right. been involved, again, in the political and civic scene of the city for a while now. And, and yet, in it every and... time that you have a it's, celebrity yeah. holding an event, does that make it a story versus somebody that comes out with actually a campaign platform mm-hmm. and speaks to that? I, I think we all need to be very careful. It's very challenging as a reporter, too, right now. I feel like we we have a spreadsheet and we have all the 21 people who filed the paperwork of those 17 have actually like declared formally. Um, and then some varying degree of all of those have released different platforms, some on certain issues, some on only one issue, some on mu- multiple issues. And it it is challenging. We find ourselves frequently every day asking like, okay, what's our filter for this? Is it is it going to rise to the level of going to cover today when, you know, we haven't even done anything on these two people because they haven't done anything, right. probably because mm-hmm. they don't have money and they have a full-time job and they're doing <laughs> right. other things. Yeah. And so, But it is. It's, like, really challenging. And I think especially once the ballot gets a little more firmed up, being able to make plans in our newsrooms about balanced and fair coverage of every candidate right. is going to be a conversation that we'll have to have. Well, we started to touch on this a little bit. So you're talking about like, well, what do we do to get millennials to stay interested? Because obviously there was a lot to be interested about in the last election. There were multiple elections and so many going on at the same time. Now it's just 50 aldermanic seats and and one one mayoral race. So what do you, I mean, from what you're hearing, what do voters want, you know, in a next mayor? Is it just like someone who's different from Brom or someone who's going to take on issues from a different perspective? Is it an ideologue or someone who's more pragmatic? So what do you think some of those issues might be? And where do you think maybe some of the top, more top contenders might fall in that? Well, I think it depends on where you are in the city. I think like different people in different neighborhoods want different things out of their mayor. Mm -hmm. And I see not, I mean, it's hard to see which which issues will become the citywide issues. If I had to make a list right now, honestly, I would probably say housing affordability, taxes, the property taxes, and and rent and how that's impacting rent. I do think the fines and fees, the ticketing is Mm -hmm. a huge thing. And it's obviously out in the conversation right now. WBEZ's done a lot of reporting about how that's impacted communities of color. And then, you know, I do think that crime is still a really, really big one. The last 2015 really felt like it was it was it was violence, but it was a lot about the school closings. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily see Schools issues being as big of a deal as they were in 2015, I certainly think there will be people who vote on those mm-hmm. on those issues on elected school, school board, board yeah. charter um, charters yep. uh, and uh, choice the new scholarship program. Mm-hmm. Though the mayor doesn't necessarily run that; that's a state issue. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say those are sort of my top four. Any others that we would want to add in terms of just things business, that people care about? The, the business community. I mean, if you're it's a player yeah. in business, all of those factors, particularly property taxes, are part of mm-hmm. it. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, crime is a part of that. But I think we certainly saw a focus from Mayor Rahm Emanuel. And you have an active business community with, I'll say it again, <laughs> a lot of money to spend. <laughs> and yeah. therefore, that whatever an economic agenda and looking out for the the business piece of the pie that may not be something that is front and central for your average voter per se but those who carry a lot of weight are certain to 
vote and again certain to fundraise or um, contribute anyway that will be the only other one that I would add but I think certainly affordability is a big umbrella Mm -hmm. and you can fit pretty much any of those subcategories under it and it's a big one I think every mayoral candidate is trying to speak to I will be the neighborhood person Rom was a downtown guy Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the neighborhood person and I'm curious to see what way that will bear out I know lead from like yeah, our yeah, publication is an extremely weedy one, and we have a big list of all the things that we want to hear from mayoral candidates. How are you going to handle pensions? How are you going to handle replacing these lead service lines? Mm-hmm. How do you, how will you handle uh, population loss in Chicago? Mm. How, what's the impact on schools? Are we going to end up closing more schools because we've seen population plummet at CPS? I don't know if people are... Like you said, it's going to be very hard to cover all these things, and I don't know if they'll be forced to get that specific. But when it came down to it in 2015, it was a financial – it was who can run this city um, and who has the financial chops to get us through these choppy waters. And I think – I feel like there's a pension story every week, like who's going to deal with pensions and Mm -hmm. can we do it with a casino and and marijuana money? Probably not. Will we see people get specific about what they will do to address that and also to, like, keep Chicago – going in the right direction Mm -hmm. because Ram said over and over and over we can see the other side of this choppy water we're not through it but we're on the right track but there's a lot of unanswered questions on debt and pensions and and how you're just going to pay for it how are you going to pay for it it. and how are you going to pay for all these other infrastructure needs we have like lead and schools and also keeping it cheap enough for people to live here. And how are you, right, I was yeah. gonna say, how are you going to pay for it while people are saying, I'm already giving too much money to insert a government, whatever government it is. Right. The city has its challenges. The state does too. And same thing, you hear constantly, well, we'll legalize marijuana and look to gambling. Right. And that raises only so much. It is certainly revenue that could be boost spending, but there have been a lot of promises made, certainly by Governor-elect Pritzker, and um, not a lot of detail on many of those issues that are facing the state, and no clear answers as to how that will be achieved. And while you have, I think you categorized it appropriately there, Edie, that there are so many candidates saying, I'm the neighborhood person. But there's still a a downtown that is looking for their own candidate. And when you make all of those promises, where's the money going to come from? And can there be someone who can straddle both? Right. Yeah. And we have 77 neighborhoods. Are you going to treat all of them? Are you going to actually give love and care and attention to each and every one of them? And you can't be everything to everyone. I mean, that's one thing I think you learn as mayor. Like sometimes you have to make tough decisions and stick with them. Some people be happy. Some won't. But you have to start from a place of trying to do what you think is in the best interest of the city and voters will be able to like you know tell you what they thought about that at the voting booth right Mm -hmm. so now outside of mayor we still have all these other races (laughs) going on and i personally think like this could turn on its head i mean if you look at all the aldermanic races right now and all the folks that are running have a completely different yes you could have a completely different and it'll be what'll be intriguing too is like having so few people on the council that have that like historical knowledge of process Mm -hmm. like who's gonna like kind of keep folks in control or make sure people understand like how to get certain things done so um you know ad what do you what are like some of the aldermanic races that got a big really fat list are you ready? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so not all the listeners will know this but the 
the Daily Line started as Alder Track, and all we yep. did was track the aldermen and like every single race. So I have a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve races I'm watching closely because we've had some high-profile retirements. Marge Lorino, Rick Munoz. Um, there was some expectation that Ed Burke might step down, but he is mm-hmm. not. Um, O'Connor may. O'Connor might still. He said, if Rom doesn't run, I'm getting out, but he hasn't gotten no, out yet. Gotten out yet. Um, has decided not to run again. He's running for treasurer now. So we have Willie Cochran in yeah. <laughs> is also not running. He might be facing some federal oh, charges. Some other office. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's another building. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I'll be watching the open race in the 20th Ward for Alderman Cochran's seat. There's already nine candidates there. 47th Ward to replace Amayapur. Mm-hmm. There's like... I think they're up to 12. Yeah. Yeah. Like and that's the, the biggest. Mini mayor's race Along up there. with 19th, the biggest boat getting ward too. So that's yes. interesting. That's right. They have a really good ward organization. The 39th ward where Marge Lorino is not running. She's one of those historical people that's been yeah. there forever. She runs the Legislative Reference Bureau. She knows how stuff works. She's president pro tem. So when Rom steps off the day, she's in charge. Yeah. She has really great relationships with people on city council. So I'll be interested to see who is like. The mother figure. Yeah, fills <laughs> yeah, that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 22nd Ward, uh, Rick Munoz decided not to run. He's also been around forever and is one of few aldermen who actually knows how Robert's Rules of Order works. He's like the parliamentarian on the Progressive Caucus. Right. Uh, so I guess Scott Wagsback and John Reen are going to have to brush up on Robert's Rules of Order. Get, get him a copy. <laughs> uh, 25th Ward, Danny Solis has been there forever. He has two progressive challengers, one who has run against him before, so he kind of knows how it goes. Yeah. The thing about having two progressive challengers against an incumbent with a bunch of money is Split, splitting, the, splitting vote. the vote. Yep. Um, 30th Ward, uh, Ariel Roboiris, also another ROM loyalist who's been around for a long time, facing Jessica Washington Gutierrez, Louise Gutierrez's daughter, uh, who he has already, he's already on a bunch of mailers for her. I'm sure he's going to give her a ton of money and he's going to make sure other people give her a ton of money. Yes, he seems very focused on that race. Yes, yes <laughs> he does. It's his full-time job, pretty much. Yeah. I mean... He's basically said as much. Yeah. 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 He said, I promised my daughter that I was going to do everything I could to, to make her an alderman. Yeah. And Which he's is, holding true to it. In any yeah. other era, we'd be like, hmm. hmm. Right. But now we're like, you do, you go help her dad. That's a nice <laughs> thing to do. Uh, 40th Ward against I don't know. I, I feel like some people will some still people are like, be okay. pretty yeah. put off by that. that right? The whole process yeah. of Chewy and Rick and all those moving pieces really yeah. turned off a lot of I just think it's I kind of so. funny or ironic, I guess, that... You know, you had like, you know, the machine, you know, the Dailies and the Burks and maybe the Heinzes and others. And there's always, you know, nepotism, nepotism. Right. And from the independents. And now the independents are becoming more of those nepotistic, more machines. It's all just mm-hmm. new versions of the yes. same machine. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, other North Side races, 43rd, Michelle Smith, another yeah. um, realm. She's got a couple. She's a lot of challengers, challengers with money. With money. Yeah. With their yeah. own money. That well, can just Lincoln Park. So it's, yeah. it's Lincoln Park. Got a lot of. Um, I think it's five challengers and. All of them. And there's a lot of Republicans, too. There's a lot mm-hmm. of Republicans. There's a lot of people who are angry about the property tax hike. Yeah. Same story in 44th Ward where Tom Tunney is running. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a super realm loyalist, but we had we have rumors of the Ricketts getting involved in that race ticked off about property they taxes. sound like more than rumors now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. 46th Ward, James Kappelman, who, who's always been an independent guy, but people, the, his challengers are saying you haven't been sufficiently progressive and you haven't pushed enough affordable housing or services for homeless people. 49th Ward, Joe Moore, the OG ROM loyalist. Just keeps coming back. Just keeps coming, coming back. back. Who, who was one of the original, like he and Tony and Rick Munoz were like the original anti-daily independents and now he's viewed as this ROM loyalist and 
He has a very young, compelling, progressive challenger. So I'll be watching that one. Yes. What about in the, because I, you follow city politics so much more. Right, Burke, of course. Where does that go? Do you think in the fifth, the uh, who is it, William Calloway? Calloway oh. does, do you have a chance at all, the guy who really was there every day at the trial for Officer Van Dyke in overtaking Yeah, because he was one of the early folks who kind of came forward and demanding, you know, justice for Laquan Well, he McDonald. was one of the ones yeah. who sued to get the takeover. Right, yeah. right. I don't know. That's an interesting constituency because she has, like, some wealthier lakefront mm-hmm. folks. And then she also has some high-crime neighborhoods like South Shore. I don't know. I don't know what his campaign looks like yet. And he hasn't officially gotten in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of rumor stage, and we'll see if he gets the signatures. But that could be... That could be a really interesting mm-hmm. one. And she's good friends with Tony Preckwinkle, so I'd be interested to see if Tony came to her rescue. Mm-hmm. She was like an early... Or if Tony Harrison, has too yeah. much to worry about, but right. also yeah. she's going to be mayor. She'll want to have aldermen that have her back versus yeah. those who will be pains in it. Well, yeah. I think, too, it'll be interesting to watch the many shades of the progressives in this right. also because yes. you have... 50 shades of progressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 50 shades of progressive. There's going to be the people like who get the Tony progressive, progressive, progressive money, like yes. Tony Preckwinkle, who's going to, you know, as her running for mayor, like you said, like I would imagine she would probably try to line up numbers for herself mm-hmm. um, on the council floor uh, because at the end of the day, like it, it is really a numbers game. And while it's been, you know, often 50 to zero, you know, the progressive caucus is what was that like 12, twelve, and they they were saying you know if we can pick up some more seats, pick up get closer to that twenty six right. mark, if you can get you know on certain votes people to join them, the numbers game changes and and it doesn't become a rubber stamp council anymore, and so that's something I think that will be really interesting. But you yeah the progressives you also have United Working Families and that mm-hmm. whole like Carlos a lot of DSA a lot of DSA candidates, candidates. Right. and then you have the Chicago Teachers Union which has own. Hasn't really, <laughs> hasn't really gotten super in. I know in the 46th, one of the, the challengers, Erica Wozniak, mm-hmm. for, um, she's a teacher. And they got involved in the and, county board race with yep, Brandon Johnson. And so mm-hmm. what role will they play? They played a big role in, in Chewy's race last time. Mm-hmm. And so will they play a role in endorsing candidates or putting up teachers who want to run? And they have new leadership. So it's a yeah, different, different kind of yeah, dynamics yeah. over there. And they, you know. They have a contract up in 19. They have a contract. Yeah. So will they even focus on politics or will they focus more on like their own Thing and membership in their contract. I mean, I'm sure they'll get in in some way, but I don't know if they'll have the same force well, they had in 2015. And with so many mayoral candidates, it's sucking up a lot of money that could also be spread around to some of the aldermanic right. races. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to have a bit of an impact too, especially on those who you know might have a great story but don't really have the means to get it out. It's yeah. going to fall back on people with the name recognition or an organization or that's game. backing them up, right? And ground game because it's it's the beauty of an aldermanic election or a state rep race. You have you know better ability to if you have a good ground game, yeah. mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. you stand a chance. Yeah, yeah. word's not too big. If you yeah. got a bunch of friends, go totally. out and every weekend, yeah, man. So you know, not to put any pressure on all you guys, but if you were to call. The mayor's race. Um, at least first, who makes the runoff, and then who wins? Becky Vivi. Oh my gosh! This is <laughs> yeah, so I don't hard. know. I don't too. Can I give you really? like two different do. scenarios, maybe? Perhaps. Um, Yo, oh, yes. Um, okay. Basically, I'll give you four. I think it could be some combination down. of these four. I'm gonna write this down because so I want to come be, back yeah. to this. <laughs> See if we'll have it. We'll have it in on air and <laughs> okay. memorialized. Okay, I might, sure. I might uh, like Becky's regret these scenarios. later. But I think um, so. The four in play in 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 my thoughts are Mendoza, Preckwinkle, McCarthy, and Daly. 
Bill Daly? So Mendoza v. Preckwinkle, Daly v. McCarthy. Yeah, so it could okay. either be boys versus boys, <laughs> girls versus girls, <laughs> or it could be like Preckwinkle versus Daly, Mendoza versus McCarthy, Preckwinkle versus McCarthy, you know, Daly versus Mendoza. And is that Mendoza. based on where their votes are going to be coming from? Uh, ye- kind of, yes. I think like that, it's just, so just the amount of, it yeah, is. just the amount of money and organization that they, those four have. I think Daly's got the name recognition and I think that Preckwinkle also has, you know, a lot of name recognition and obviously a strong organization. She's the head of the Cook County Dems. Um, I think people, part part of why I put McCarthy up there as well is that, yes, he has name recognition also because crime is going to be such a big issue. And I I do think, you know, he's the most, I guess, conservative slash Republican of the race. And I do think he's going to capture like Northwest side, South, far Southwest side, and that could that could give him enough to run, get into the runoff. I just think that he's got a really mm-hmm. good shot at getting into the runoff. The other um, thing I've heard about so, that people like so about that was this like a is very several combinations. One thing I've heard that people like about McCarthy is they feel like he got he got screwed over. He got by a raw Rome. deal. Mm-hmm. He got yeah. a raw deal, and he's an honest guy. Yeah, he'll he'll give us the impressions that he's making. Yes, yeah. he'll 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 shoot us straight. And that's what I like. I that's ask a perception every, you hear. Yes, it's yeah. a perception record, I hear. You're not saying. Oh, no, no. Right, right, right. No, no, no. <laughs> I ask every bartender and Uber driver and cab driver I talk to, who do you like for mayor? And I think about five out of seven have said McCarthy because they say he seems he seems like and a straight they shooter. mostly men? Yeah. They're all you men. That? Yeah. yeah. They're all men. Mm-hmm. He's also, I think, got a really interesting like media game already in terms yes. of like paid media and where he's putting himself and um it's very making strategic inroads, yeah making inroads into like latino media and um trying to capture uh latino voters are some of the most yeah, pro-law enforcement voters and very yeah pro-police you know can keep for sure crime fighting and he was out there early. I mean, yeah. he would have been an entirely different place had he yeah. been one of the many who decided to enter after Rom stepped out. He that perception that voters that you've talked to may not be the same, right? But he's not facing that. I mean, it is remarkable to think about how different our answers would have been. Oh my had, gosh! Yeah. My Rom, I mean, it's a completely like, different. Uh, who, Paul Vallis, Lori Lightfoot, <laughs> yeah, Lightfoot, and, yeah, and, Chico even, but right? He got in she, after, I guess. Yeah, Chico but. did get in after, and he's still. I mean, these are people that you see working it. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it covered the small protest outside Target where the South Side is upset about that. And Gary Chico was there sure doing all he could mm-hmm. to get his position across and his face on camera. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the point really is that it is First of all, we don't know who all is going to run, so it's very difficult and to make get on the ballot. Yeah. Who's actually going to right. make it onto the ballot? Because that is going to be a contest of its own. And then with so many people presumably actually right. making it there, right. it's not about who necessarily is the most popular. Yeah. Uh, um, because or who, who would be a popular if it it's were? It's going to be. Uh, it's going like to be like ten percent. It's going to be ten or less percent yes. that these people get into the runoff. Yes. If we get eight or nine people on the ballot, like I say this because it's like these are just people of the most money and most organization because. All they need to capture is eight right. to ten percent of the right. vote. You know that that is that's what we're talking but it could about be, here. And it could be such a slight and difference. And there could be a sleeper that puts some surprise. person, Dorothy yeah, Brown, Dorothy the, Brown, or right. Willie Wilson. You Dorothy know, they Brown can easily get their ten percent. Is another well liked person who people totally. You talk to anybody yes. who's like, she consistently gets even when under like federal probe, 
she still won clerk of the circuit court. I yep. think she still secured. People love her, yeah. People love and her. She's been under a cloud. I forget how many years it's been it's now, like and she's still yeah. here. So if Willie I'm Wilson, like Tony Preckwinkle, you know, those are folks that I would like to see off the ballot because it's going to take away from her base. Yeah. And if you have her, Willie, Lori, Lori. and Dorothy, mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting because, yeah. because I don't think any of them are going anywhere. No. So they're going to have to do some creative knocking off yeah, the ballot. Yeah, what did Willie get yeah. in 15, 10%? Ten percent. That's. I mean, some there people say that's the runoff right there too. Yep. Like that was really what what pushed the runoff. And yeah, it'll be a fun, um, a fun December in the Pedway. So I don't think I'm <laughs> yeah, looking at the ballot. <laughs> AD and Amanda. I, I still don't think I'm yeah, like where where are going to land on this. So I mean. I think we've kind of played a, I, I, yeah, I don't really do predictions, particularly when you don't actually have candidates on the ballot. So not to cop out, but until you can see who has the structure in place to get petitions that can hold up, it's really difficult to say if yeah. they have yeah. a, a true organizations. Certainly, you figure Preckwinkle has that in the bag. Certainly, Mendoza was late to the game, um, and... I think both she and there will be some people that are bothered by her. Also, perhaps Preckwinkle, although it's been a bigger storyline for Mendoza just because of the timeline. That well, anyway, it you didn't seem to hurt her, though. In the, I mean, she beat right. Tony in Chicago for votes and even in her own ward. So, like, do people really care? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, right. It, it's, it's there a are a lot of questions. There's yeah. just so many dynamics. And until you actually have people until we know for sure who is in that race it's really hard to predict hard yeah. to well, predict then, and too early well to i guess so i'll just give my words i'm but sorry I think, no. no but i think becky I, has I a good your, i mean no, i, yeah, I think that was a good becky, analytical I yeah, yes, some, some you got analysis there well i'm gonna make know, prediction you, and i'm gonna say mendoza preckwinkle yeah. i want a woman that will be and very I want a woman of color if that is and the case. i think they're the ones who are going to make it happen we shall see ad did you want to add i agree with Becky, I agree with the way you measure who's going to get in because this is just a matter of how many people can get, let's see, over 10%. 36,000 signatures <laughs> to make it work. Yeah. And also yep. that can afford to challenge other people's petitions. And get them off that out. ballot. Which I'm so excited for. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to have so much fun in the bedway. I love objection like, seats. We just get it down to at least 10, I followed, maybe 8. I followed the Berrios Kegi Rayla. Yeah, mm-hmm. petition challenge for like two weeks oh, and it yeah. was fantastic. They were like handwriting <laughs> experts, like mm-hmm. measuring the yeah. way people. It seems get really it's one of the many ways in which you're Chicago like tradition. a TV show would not do this because no way does it actually work like that. And oh yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. does. Well, I think it's a good reason for us to come back maybe when the runoff kicks off and <laughs> yeah. then we can really start digging yeah. deeply. So quickly, just um, share with all of our listeners uh, where they. They can find your political coverage on air, in print, or online. Becky VB. Uh, 91.5 FM is WBEZ's call letters. Tune in. We also have a podcast. Our politics team puts out a podcast weekly on Fridays called On Background. And our coverage is at WBEZ.org. If you have NPR One, you can search for On Background. Oh, yeah. And Ooh, then every time you get on NPR One, it'll like feed it directly to you. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That's how I hear Becky every week. Thanks, AD. <laughs> We are at thedailyline.net. You can follow me on Twitter at AD underscore Quig, Q-U-I-G. Uh, the Aldercast is on iTunes. I hope we have an episode on pensions coming out. Ooh. Ooh. This is the only room sexy. where everyone would go pensions. Where's Lawrence Massal? AD got Masal. a really big smile as she said pensions. It was really sweet. I don't know if you can hear that through your ears, but it happened. <laughs> I think that's all the places. Yeah.
You can hear WTTW Chicago tonight by watching our program at 7 p.m. on weeknights on Channel 11. But for the many people I know that are cord cutters and such, don't worry, plenty of other ways. There is a PBS app as well. And then every episode is streamed live on our Facebook page. So WTTW, you can just search for that on Facebook and it streams live and it is there forever after if it's you want to check it out. And podcast. Yeah. So, so many different ways. And then, yeah, my Twitter handle is at Amanda Vinicky. Yes, well, I do have a quarter at home, and I record Chicago Tonight every night because yes. I've been watching that since I was a kid. I think it was it's really one show. of those things that kind of got me into politics. So, you know. Mm. So, well, again, thank you to our guests, Amanda Finicky, Becky Vivi, and Eddie Quid for making this episode so engaging. And again, the broadcast is brought to you by C Strategies, LLC, a strategic communications and public affairs firm, bringing passion and veteran experience to clients to help them meet their business goals. Our sponsors are We Will, which empowers women and children to get involved in the legislative process by affording them opportunities to have their voices heard and evolve her Chicago's first creative co-working space for women. Thank you to our podcast host, 1871. And the broadcast is produced and edited by Tweed Thornton. Additional editing provided by Nicholas Fedora. Music by Christy Bennett's Fumi Gypsy Project. To learn more about Sea Strategies and the broadcast, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Sea Strategies LLC and visit SeaStrategiesLLC.com. Thanks for listening. So come, let the walls play.